Game music. What kind of crap is this? When you think of African-American culture during the late 1970s and early 1980s in the United States, what typically comes to mind? Maybe the remnants of the civil rights movement that ended in the 1960s that were carried throughout the later decades? Maybe you picture the rise of black entertainment with productions like Good Times, What's Happening, Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons, and the creation of BET TV. Maybe hit movies like several Richard Pryor classics such as Car Wash, Which Way Up, The Wiz, and personal favorite of mine, Grease Lightning. Maybe it's the fashion statements like platform shoes, bell bottoms, track suits, basketball sneakers, and afros. For me though, it has to be the influence and widespread popularity of different music genres that define this era of African American culture. The two genres that most influence my life and are currently on repeat all the time on my phone are gospel music and disco. It would be to my delight that these two genres with near opposite origins of each other have been combined to become the groovy, heavenly sounds of gospel disco. Known for its hedonistic reputation for the club scene, sex, drugs, and originally a means of rebellion against the norm for many gay Americans, disco is definitely one of the least God-fearing genres on its surface. But as the civil rights movement of the 1960s was still being felt all across the country, many churches, and particularly Pentecostal black churches, were seeing how driven apart most of the Christian community was and saw a need for change, one that would bring people together and not work against what they had fought for in the civil rights movement for decades. One of the main hubs of this intertwining of cultures was the Bay Area, specifically Oakland and areas just outside of central San Francisco. Some of these changes in a new area of society seeing desegregation take effect was the new era of Christianity. One of the major churches in the Bay Area that embraced this change was the Love Center a Pentecostal church known for its raving choirs and gospel-driven sermons, but also was a haven for gay and lesbian singers during the 1970s. The Love Center welcomed in all of their congregation members and furthered the connection between the gay and lesbian crowd with the black church that bonded together in a time of discrimination of both sexual identity and race. Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas from the Union Theological Seminary said it best on the PBS documentary, The Black Church. How is it that uh, a church that emerged out of a struggle for freedom mm -hmm. would then indeed oppress its own members? Mm -hmm. When God tell us to move, yeah. hey man, pray the Lord, we got to move. Yeah. You know right about it. During this era, disco music was facing heavy backlash from conservative groups and many churches who saw disco as immoral and corrupt. 
However, some churches around the U.S. embraced the disco sounds and were trying to find ways to connect to the unbelievers. Staying true to its gospel roots while implementing the beats and rhythms of disco, gospel disco became a movement that would inspire some of the best hits of this era. Potentially the most popular example of the hand-raising, feet-stomping, booty-shaking sounds of early gospel disco was the works of the Jobert singers in their album, Somebody Prayed For This. In 1982, Phyllis Jobert, the Minister of Music at the First Baptist Church in Crown Heights, New York, gathered some of her congregation's youth choir singers and had a mission to record an album that could share the gospel within her community. The privately recorded session and pressing of the album was shared within the First Baptist Church congregation, but the popularity of one of the songs, Stand on the Word, erupted and the privately funded album that wanted to avoid monetary success distracting from their message of Christ surpassed the church. During the success of the album, it was believed that Larry Levin, a renowned DJ and remix artist and grandson to one of the church's congregation members, was present at the album's recording. It is said that Levin was so moved by the song that he had a spiritual awakening and he decided to remix it. As one of New York's most prominent DJs, Levin took the song into the studio and out came one of his signature tracks that has been a staple within the gospel disco community. This story has been tried and true for almost four decades, but it is now known that this story was just that, a story. The truth is that DJ Tony Humphreys heard the track at Burdell's Records and began playing it at his club Zanzibar in New Jersey, where Levin just so happened to also DJ. It was actually in 1985 that Phyllis Jobert and George Rodriguez of the Garden State Record Pool, along with Eddie O'Loughlin, owner of Next Plateau Records, and Humphreys, would actually remix new versions of Stand on the Word. Levin's name is not even mentioned anywhere on the production notes, the album liner, and not even other DJs would say that Levin worked on the song. However, in 2003, a mysterious white label emerged with a, quote, unreleased mix on the song, which displayed the name Larry O2 in capital letters on the album press. The mix was not attributed to Levin specifically, but it closely resembles the original 1982 Celestial Choir version of the album. It is possible that Levin was attached to the legendary album through confusion of his other gospel remixes and his prominence in the New York club scene at the time. Regardless of who remixed it, Stand on the Word remains a worship song with unmistakable gospel qualities, from its soaring chorus to its stirring piano lines. In gospel music, authorship has traditionally been attributed to the community rather than an individual creator, so it may be best to view the song as a divine transmission, originating from a source beyond any human songwriter, engineer, or remixer. Ultimately, what matters is that the message was communicated, and the song continues to move listeners. And that is just how it works. There is no real answer other than the Lord works in mysterious ways. As the years passed, gospel disco albums like Stand on the Word were generally swept under the rug in favor of more popular artists on their labels. But just like the gospel in the story of Christ, gospel disco too rose from the dead. 
In 2016, DJ Greg Belson compiled a compilation of God-fearing and boogieing gospel disco on Greg Belson's Divine Disco, American Gospel Disco from 1974 to 1984. The compilation takes some of the unknown albums of this era of gospel and compiles them into one listening session that would take even the most dedicated vinyl collectors years to dig through to find. In fact, many of the albums on Belson's compilations were from privately recorded, privately funded, and independent press records. The huge success and popularity of this resurgence even led Belson to curate a second compilation, the seventh track on Greg Belson's Divine Disco Volume 2, Obscure Gospel Disco from 1979 to 1989, titled Jesus is on the Mainline by Jesse R. McGuire, was pressed on 50 copies and only handed out to his local congregation. Some of the other songs on Belson's two compilations were Hail Mary Purchases from eBay, Random Finds and Digging Through Thousands of Albums at Estate Sales, to finding tracks like Stand on the Word from other DJs. It almost seems like a testament to what Phyllis Jobert originally wanted for gospel disco, a message that would captivate the younger generation with disco sounds while still focusing on the message of Christ. I think it is fair to say that Belson is one of the sole reasons that gospel disco is still alive today. His monthly gospel radio show to his continued pursuit of gospel records show that the Lord is still moving with the music and can still bring the cultures of the clubs from Saturday nights to the pews of Sunday mornings together. As a believer myself, I was really excited to find something new that takes a different approach to the hymns and traditional worship songs that I still love. Finding new ways to worship my Savior through the music I listen to on a regular basis has been an absolute blessing from the Lord, and I hope that the disco beats and gospel-driven lyrics of gospel disco have inspired you to take a look at the different ways that people can praise Jesus and share the gospel. This has been the Subgenrepedia. I'm Alex Neal, and it has been an absolute pleasure taking you on the journey of the meshing of two cultures that form the spiritually powered, euphoric thumping that is gospel disco. Maybe you learned something new, or even found a new favorite subgenre. Either way, there is always more to discover. I'll see you next time on the Subgenrepedia.
everybody stand up on your feet and make some noise for one of the most phenomenal female groups of our time. Jackie, Dorinda, Karen, Twinkie, the clock system.
This has been the Subgenrepedia. I'm Alex Neal. And now back to Lincoln's new music alternative on 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.